The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Hey, good morning. Good to see you guys. Happy that you're with us. Uh, happy you could join us for one of the most depressing Bible passages that we have. So that's fun. <clears throat> if it's your first time, you got dragged here by a friend. Uh, you're like, what are we going to talk about today? Just bear with us. Join us for the ride. It's going to be over in like 10 minutes, okay? And then it gets so much better after that, I promise. Also, my laptop overheated on me last night, so we get to use my daughter's lovely, colorful iPad for notes this morning. So in case you're like, what is that? Just That's, that's where we're at. So I want to pray over our time together real quick before we jump in, so if you could join me. Jesus, thank you so much for your word and your truth, which can be difficult and challenging to hear sometimes. Lord, I'm asking this morning that we would sit in that truth, recognize that it applies to us, each one of us in this room. Lord, that it would change us. Lord, we just commit this time to you, asking that you would do whatever it is that you need to do. Thank you for everybody that's here. We all have something different going on. Meet us where we're at. Change us this morning. It's in your name. Amen. So, the last six weeks... If you've joined us for this series in the book of Romans, uh, Paul, the author here, the, the book of Romans is a little bit different than some other books that we have. It, it kind of plays out, as we've described, as like a courtroom drama, right? And Paul is the prosecuting attorney here in this story, and he's presented a really powerful, substantial argument for the last six weeks. And he continues it today as what you just heard Beth read. Uh, and quite honestly, at this point, uh, as I'm reading this, Part of me just goes, okay, Paul, we get it. We all suck. We're terrible. Our sin is awful, right? Can we just move on? What's the solution here? We get what you're trying to say. Uh, And before he gives us the solution to this problem that he's presenting that we found ourselves in, he's saying, don't miss this. Don't get it twisted. Before we move on, let's highlight this important truth. None of us. Are good. And obviously, Paul is not talking to us in this story, but he's talking to two specific groups of people at that time in history in the church of Rome the, the Jews, who were God's chosen people, right? And the Gentiles, anybody that was outside of that, right? And so for you and I today, that's, that's us. We're the Gentiles, unless you have Jewish heritage, ancestry. Uh, that's us. We, we fall into that group as well. And so this applied for them back then, but it also applies to each one of us in the room today. No one is good, not even one. And I love how Paul ties up this closing argument here before he moves on. Uh, This passage, what is that, starting in verse 10, I think, right? All these things that he's saying, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is wise, all of this. He's not just pulling this stuff out of thin air because it's provocative. All of what he's saying is actually coming from the Old Testament. It's coming from the Psalms. It's coming from the prophets. This all has been with the Jews for as long as they can remember. And so Paul is kind of, he's kind of jabbing at these guys, like those, those scrolls in that law that you so proudly know and cling to. All of this was in there. And it doesn't just apply to those wicked Gentiles out there. It applies to you. It applies to me. It applies to each one of us. And so he's saying, don't miss this. You Jews and you Gentiles, your big nasty sin, all the bad stuff that we think about, but then... Even the little white lies that you thought didn't really have a big impact. All of your sin, all of it, has separated you from God. And as verse 19 tells us there in Romans 3, I love how he puts this. 
to show that the entire world is guilty before God. What a statement that that is. The whole world is guilty before God. And I think that this can be challenging when we're confronted with this idea that we're not good because, honestly, you and I, in our modern context, we find ourselves in this culture that says, you're amazing, you're awesome, live your best life, you're incredible. And that sounds really great, and I think we all want that, we want that to be true, but when I really look around and I look deep inside of myself, I go, then why is everything so broken? (laughs) Why do I feel so broken that if I'm so amazing and awesome... What's happened? What's wrong? Because I don't feel that way. And I love what he says in verse 17. They don't know where to find peace. And man, how that's, that's so, that resonates so much with me. Before finding out who Jesus was, I didn't know where to find peace. Something is wrong, and Paul is trying to, to highlight this truth for us. And I question that myself. If we're so awesome and everything is great, then why, since 2020, have plans to commit suicide increased a whopping 334%. Why is that happening? Why is this next generation that we see growing up so anxious, depressed, lonely, isolated, more than any generation we've seen? Why? There has to be an answer there. If everything is awesome, then why is everything so broken? It doesn't line up and it doesn't make sense. And again, I think when we're confronted with this idea, you are not good enough. You are broken, something is wrong. At least for me, and maybe you can relate, I feel like the immediate answer to that when someone says, hey, you're not doing good, what is the first thing that you usually want to do? Okay, well, I want to get better. There's got to be something that I can do. Let's fix this. Let's do something. I'm a guy. Guys like to fix stuff, right? That's my my inclination. I just, let me fix it. Let me do something. But Paul is, is kind of telling us here, and on your note sheet, you'll have some fill in the blanks. You can jot this down if you like to take notes. There'll be some of those for you today. But the first thing that he's telling us not to get twisted, the twisted version of this when we're confronted with this idea, you are not good enough. The twisted version said, just do better. Just be better. Just do better. Just follow God's laws better. Be a better Christian. Do better here. When the reality is, is that we actually make the problem worse. The reality is, is that we actually make the problem worse. And we have to recognize that that's true. And so you're not a good person. And you can't do anything to fix it. Thanks, Paul. That's really helpful. So where do we go then from here? If this is the reality that we find ourselves in, we can't do anything about this, what, what are we supposed to do? And Paul, is, he's hounding on this idea, church, because I think that until we understand and recognize our own brokenness and our complete inability... I'm going to say that again. Your complete inability to be made right with God based on what you've done, then you will miss how amazing God's grace is. Until you first understand that truth. And so you wonder why Paul keeps highlighting this and talking about this. He's saying don't miss it because you have to start here. If you don't get this, you will miss how amazing God's grace really is. So understand that you are broken. Understand that you can't do anything. And then speaking of grace, I think that it's, important that we, we really understand what God's attitude towards sin is. And I encourage you to go back and listen to the last six weeks. I'm not going to dive into it. This is more of kind of a recap for us before Paul gives us the solution. But God is not flippant and casual about sin. God is furious and angry about sin. And I think scripture makes it pretty clear. At least in Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. Right? Another way to say that is that death is the only way to pay for sin. 
Death is the only way to pay for sin. We have to recognize that that is true. A sacrifice is necessary to pay for sin. And why? You might wonder, well, why? Why, why is death a necessity? Why is sin so serious? <clears throat> well, I think that Hebrews 10 explains it pretty well for us. Um, the author here, sorry, I just lost my place. Let me make sure I read it right. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 1, the author kind of talks about the old system, the old, or what's called the old covenant, the way that things used to work. So before Jesus came on the scene, how did all of this work? Because if you're saying that death was a necessity, if God's so angry about sin, then how did things work? Well, the author says, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. Don't miss this, this is great. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year, for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so this is how things used to work. Sacrifices were presented year after year to atone for sin. God is angry about sin. A sacrifice was necessary. The wages of sin is death. And so let's come back to God's grace, as I mentioned. The thing that we need to understand about God's grace, and I think if we're not careful, we can get this twisted. The twisted version says, God's grace gives me a get-out-of-jail-free card. This will be up on the screen for you as well. God's grace gives me a get-out-of-jail-free card, which sounds great. That's a good phrase, right? But the truth is, the reality is, is that somebody actually carried out the sentence for you. God's grace doesn't just give you a get-out-of-jail-free card. Somebody actually carried the sentence out for you. See, the thing about God's grace is that it wasn't free. It's free for you and I. It's free for us today to take, but it wasn't free. God's grace had a great cost, and a sacrifice had to be made for it. And so we end this passage here in Romans kind of at rock bottom, if I'm being honest, right? Like we are hopeless. No one is good. The entire world is guilty before God, and you can't do anything about it. So what, what do we do? Well, the great thing about rock bottom is there's only one way to go is up, right? And so Paul continues... Verse 21, he says, but now. I love that. Someone told me the other day, they said, I love that but. That's a, that's, a, that's a great one to hear. But now. But now, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short, fall short <clears throat> of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This is the gospel. This is the good news cross point. This is the good news about Jesus that you and I need to hear. And this is the solution. This is the fix to our problems. No one is good. You can't do anything about it. But now God has made a way. 
Now God has made it possible. But what is the good news? What is the gospel? I feel like that's a phrase that we hear so much, and if you've been a Christian for a long time, it sounds great. And I think that some of us, I think we understand some key parts of it. But I want to make sure that we don't miss it. And so I want to reread a few of those verses from, actually from the ESV, because there's some key terms in here that I want to unpack with you all today to make sure that we understand that we don't miss. So, so back to verse 23. This is going to come from the ESV. So if you have your phones, you can follow along here. Or if you have an ESV Bible, that works too. Verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And I love some of these words that are in here, and it's, it's so helpful as we understand what the gospel is, and so I want to take a look at this here. There's some great stuff, so let's not miss it. Um, a great way to think about the gospel, I heard this the other day, it's a fantastic analogy. It's like a chocolate chip cookie recipe, Right? So you could get ready to bake chocolate chip cookies. You could set out 90% of the ingredients to get it all ready to go. But if you forget to put the chocolate chips in, and you put those cookies in the oven and they come out, what kind of cookies are you not going to get? Chocolate chip cookies. You're going to miss it. You're going to have cookies. You're not going to have chocolate chip cookies. And I love that analogy because as this relates to the good news about Jesus, the truth is you can know some things about the gospel. But if you leave certain parts out, guess what you don't have? The gospel. In order for the gospel to be received, there is so much in it that we have to understand and we cannot leave parts out. And often when we think about the gospel, this good news, again, if that terminology is not familiar to you, this is just the good news as Paul describes to us here in Romans. This is what Jesus did. This is the good news. And as we think about that, for a lot of us Christians that have been to church, one of the phrases I think we hear and use often when we say, what is the gospel? It's, well, Jesus died for your sins. Jesus died for your sins, which is certainly true. That's a huge part of the gospel. We can't miss that, but that's not everything. That's not everything. Certainly he died for your sins, but there's so much more there for us. And so here's my hope today, Crosspoint. My hope is that as we unpack what the gospel looks like, that this would be helpful for you if you've been a Christian for a long time, maybe this will be just a good reminder for some of you. Man, I want to make sure that I don't miss that. Maybe there's going to be some new things in here. Go, man, I didn't realize that that was part of the gospel. I want to make sure that I trust that, that I believe in that. And then for some of you, that you would be able to receive this gift today. If that's just been a confusing topic, what, what, what is this good news about Jesus? I've heard that name thrown around so much. You might be familiar with the story of the cross, but that this would be helpful for you to see exactly what he accomplished on that cross. And then as well, that we would be able to share this gospel with those that need to hear it. At our workplace, at our schools, wherever we're at, that as we understand what the gospel is, that we would be able to share it with others clearly so that they would be able to understand. So that's my hope for us this morning. And so let's break it down term by term as we see here in these few verses. And so the first one we're going to start with, uh, don't throw this point up on the screen yet. I'll let you know when it's ready. But one of, the first, one of the words that we see in here in those verses starts with a P. It says propiti propiti propitiation. Sorry, even I mess it up sometimes, right? Propitiation. Verse 25, it said, whom God, Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. And so what is propitiation? Well, this term propitiate, 
What it means is to present something to placate somebody's anger or to appease somebody's anger, to take away somebody's anger. Okay, and so what this verse is telling us is that Jesus was put forward to appease God's anger. And that can be a shocking statement for some people to hear. They're like, God's angry? Oh, yeah. He's real angry. He was real angry at sin. Remember what we said, the wages of sin is death. God is very serious about it. Something had to be presented to propitiate God's anger. Something had to be presented to propitiate God's anger. And we cannot be shy, church, to embrace the reality of God's wrath and his anger towards sin as much as we do his love. Because the two things actually go hand in hand more than you realize God's love and God's wrath. He loves you and I so much that he is so furious about sin, about our rebellion towards him. That's how much he loves you. That he could be so angry about this sin when we turn our backs on him. And so the things for us to know this morning about propitiation, we're not going to do a deep dive into this, but this point will be up on the screen. It's not on your note sheet, I don't think, so you might want to write this down if you want. Propitiation means this. It's that Jesus received the fullness of God's wrath and anger on the cross. That's what you need to know about propitiation. Jesus received the fullness, not just a little bit, and not just for then, the fullness of God's anger and God's wrath on the cross. And you know what that means for you and I today? If you call yourself a Christian in this room, if you believe that Jesus gave his life for you, if that's where you find yourself this morning, what propitiation means for you is that God's not angry with you. God's not angry with you anymore. Why? Because that anger was poured out on the cross 2,000 years ago. That anger is no longer present. It's gone. It was laid upon Jesus on the cross, and it's no longer for you. As Hebrews 10 tells us in one of the verses there, it says that the, the sacrifice that Jesus made was, was good once for all time. Once for all time. So no longer year after year to, to sacrifices and offerings and prayer. Gosh, God, I'm so sorry. Just please take this, take this sacrifice. Take this offering. No more. The sacrifice that Jesus made was good once for all time. That is good news for us. So propitiation, Jesus was put forward to appease the wrath of God for your sin and for my sin, for all time. And then the next word we find there, it starts with an R, it's redemption. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, as it says. This term redemption uh, comes from the Old Testament, and, and the way that this word was used back then, it was used for slaves, actually. It was used for slaves that were bought out of their slavery for the purpose of being set free. This was redeeming them out of slavery from something that they were free. And so what does that mean for us? What does redemption mean for us? What, how does that count for you and I? Well, I love what Romans 6 says. Romans 6 chapter, or sorry, Romans chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. Paul writes, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Man, I love that. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And this is a truth. The, redemp- the truth about redemption, church, is I feel like it's one that we miss a lot. And we miss redemption when we walk around feeling like there's still chains and shackles and the ball and chain that Jesus has already taken off of us, but we walk around like it's still there. We walk around like we're still in captivity and bondage to sin, and we forget that Jesus set us free from it. 
Not just that we're free to not do it anymore, but actually as the Bible describes that sin has actually lost its power in your life. You you are set free from it. You are no longer bound or obligated to live in sin. This is a huge part of the gospel. We can't miss that there is something so powerful about what he did on that cross that actually sets us free. The chains have been removed. They're gone. And now you may still struggle with sin, but you're not bound to it. And if you feel like you are, you've allowed the enemy to convince you that you are because it's not true. You are not bound by the power of sin. And the best way that I can describe this is that feeling like you're trapped. Like there's just no way out of my sin. There's no way to get away from my temptations. There's no way out of the struggle. It's just not true. Jesus already released the chains. We have to come out from the agreement that that's true. We have to come out from this agreement like, gosh, I'm never going to get over this. I'm never going to be able to get through this. We have to stop agreeing with that. It's nonsense. Christ set us free from it. And so on your note sheet, Redemption, what you need to know about redemption is that we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. This is wonderful news. And so Jesus was our propitiation. He offers us redemption from slavery and obligation to sin. And then the last term that we see in those verses, justification. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. We are justified by his grace as a gift. This word justification, it's a legal term which I find very fitting as here in Romans. Again, this is like a courtroom drama. It's fitting for where we're at. It's a term that would have been given by a judge. The opposite of justification is condemnation. Justification, what does that mean for us? One of our church members uh, joined us for our message brainstorming the other week. And I just loved the way that he put this visual about what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so imagine with me here for a second, church, that you're in the courtroom and you're sitting before the judge who is God. And verse 19 in Romans 3 has just been presented to you. The verdict is out. You are guilty. You are guilty before God. And the sentence has been given as you are ready to go and be taken away, the judge actually steps off of the bench and he comes over to you and he puts on a crown of thorns and he wraps you up and covers you in the blood of Jesus that was spilt on the cross. And he says, I paid the penalty for you. This is what it means to be justified by the grace of God. Well, being justified really looks like another great way that we've described this in the past is it's not just having, if you imagine your record, right, your record of wrongs, the record of your past, the records of your sin, it's not just having those things erased and forgiven. Certainly that's true. But the difference between being justified and being pardoned, see, a pardon is having it forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven. But what it means to be justified is that not only has that record been erased, but it's actually been replaced by something else that God gives you. A term that scholars use to describe what happens here in this process of God justifying his people is called imputation. He actually imputes something. He gives something to you. He applies something to you. This this word imputation, it's an accounting term that means to apply to one's account. 
So God is applying something to your account. So when he takes away your sin, when he took your sin off and put it on Jesus on the cross, he didn't just stop there. He actually imputes something onto you, which is his record instead. Your record has been removed. God's record has been given to you. His righteousness, his holiness, his glory, his goodness, all of that has been given on to you. And this is wonderful news for us. All of God's holiness has been applied to your account if you simply choose to receive what Jesus did. And so the thing for us to know about justification, it'll be up there on your note sheet. Our sins removed and God's righteousness given. Justification means our sins removed and God's righteousness given. And church, this is the one that I just, I I don't want you to miss. I don't want you to miss this. When you've been justified by God, that means that you're no longer marked by your sin in your past. You know what you're marked by? His righteousness. So when God looks at you, He's not seeing the record of wrongs and the record of your past. You know what he sees? He sees the righteousness and the goodness of Jesus already applied to your account. And so when you walk around, some of you need to hear this so bad because we've been following Jesus for a long time and we walk around kind of hunched over, kind of thinking that God's waiting for us to just slip up again. He's like, I know it's coming and when it slips up, I'm going to take that salvation away from you. That is not how God sees you. He sees you as righteous. And holy. And this is mind-boggling because it doesn't make sense. Because I don't know about you. But my, my past and my sin sticks with me a lot more than I'd like to admit. I'm reminded of it more often than I'd like to be. I'm reminded of it when I wake up. I was reminded of it the other day when I was getting ready for work. And I spiraled down in this, this little pit of shame and I had to get myself out and be like, that's, that's not who you are anymore. You are not marked by your sin or your past. If you've been justified by God, it means you're marked by his goodness. You know, how different would our lives look if we perceived ourselves the way that God perceived us? How different would we carry ourselves as we walk out of here today as we started to look at ourselves the way that God sees us. And guys, this, this is scripture. This isn't some idea that we're pulling out of nowhere. It's right here. You simply have to recognize that it's true and that that counts for you. Because if it counts for them, then it counts for you as well. I love what Hebrews ten seventeen says, just to solidify this for us. So if you're still like, man, I'm just not sure if that's still true. Hebrews 10, 17 says that God says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. What a, what a remark that is from our Father. I will never again remember their sins or their lawless deeds. That's how God looks at you. If you've received that gift of salvation and his justification, you are no longer marked by your sin, but you are marked by his righteousness. And so Jesus was our propitiation to appease God for the sin that had separated us from him. He redeemed us and brought us out of slavery and bondage to sin. And through the sacrifice that he made on the cross, we have now been justified. 
A record has been released and it has been replaced with the righteousness of God. Church, this is the good news about what Jesus did for you on the cross. All of it is true. Not just that Jesus died for you. I think that part's easy for us to get. I think the hard part is, how does God look at you today if you've received that? Your sins have been forgiven from yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and that's true for you if you receive it. And so then the question becomes, so how do we receive it? Because this all sounds wonderful and great. And even for some of us that maybe have been coming to church for a long time, maybe we've missed some of this. And so how, how do we receive this gift, as Paul puts it? Well, I love what verse 25 says. Sorry, verse uh, 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. It's that simple. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And so then the question becomes, so what is faith? And then how do I put my faith in Jesus? Because that's really hard. That's a difficult thing. How do we conceptualize what, what, what does this look like? How do I put my faith in an idea? See, because we all sat in these chairs today, we had faith that it was going to hold us up, but that's an object. How do I put my faith in some idea? Well, I think what this really, well, there's a great quote. I don't know who wrote it, but I'm going to share it with you. It'll be up on the screen. So here you go. Faith is the eye that looks to God, the hand that receives his free gift, and the mouth that drinks the living water. I love that word there, receive. What does that mean to receive? Well, receive means to accept something. And to accept something, you have to agree with it, right? And so what it means to place your faith in Jesus is you receive that gift by accepting it and agreeing with it. And what I mean by agreeing with it is you say, I believe that that counts for me. That's all faith is. I believe that that counts for me. And what this, what this looks like, it could be something as God, I, I recognize that I've messed things up and I need you. And I believe that that sacrifice you made, I believe that that counts for me. This is faith. There is no ritual that you have to go through. There is no step-by-step -step process to receive this gift. It's simply to reach out and receive it. Because God's putting it out and extending it to you. But I believe that that can actually be difficult for some of us. I believe that this may have been difficult for the Jews back then that Paul was writing to. Because for a lot of them and for many of us, we approach God. But when we put out our hands, we're actually holding on to something. And if we're being honest, maybe some of us go, look God, look at what a good boy I've been. Look at what I've done for you. And I love how Pastor Steve put it as we were brainstorming some of this. He goes, imagine that, approaching God with this janky, worthless offering that he looks at and he goes, that's pathetic. How offensive that would be to his son who spilt his blood on the cross. And I feel like God's saying, would you just get rid of all that and just accept what I have for you instead? It's the only thing that's going to count. So let go of what you're holding on to and stop trying to present your goodness, your little Boy Scout merit badge to God. Take that thing off, put it to the side, and say, God, I don't have what it takes. I'm not a good person and I need you. And that you would receive that. And so the thing for us to know today about faith, this will be up on the, up on the screen for you on your notes. Faith means to approach God empty-handed and receive. 
And again, to receive just means to agree that that counts for you. Do you believe that that counts for you? Do you believe that what Jesus did on that cross counts for you and your past and your sin and your brokenness? This is faith. God, I can't do this on my own. I've made a mess and I recognize that I need you. The thing I love about the gospel and the thing that's challenging about it though as well is I believe that it's good news for me, right? It's good news for us. But the flip side of that coin about the gospel as Paul puts it in verse 22, we already read that it says we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, but I intentionally skipped that last part. And this is true for who? Everyone who believes, no matter who we are. That sounds great, but no matter who they are? And so for you and I today, I think a question that we might need to wrestle with The gospel counts for me, but it also counts for them. And them might be the person that has really, really done a number in your life. That has really done some damage and the destruction that their sin has caused, has broken relationships, has created trauma. I mean, you fill in the blank, church. But if what Paul is actually saying here is true, then the gospel counts for everybody. And as we say all the time here at Crosspoint, we are all kinds of people discovering and following Jesus. You know what all kinds of people means? It means all. That's all kinds of people. That means you good boys and you good girls and the really messed up and broken people that are out there and you're like, do you believe that God's grace counts for them? And I think that that's really easy to say, oh, yeah, for them. Or you hear stories about, you know, people that were in prison for a long time, serial killers, and people that have, what you hear, discovered who Jesus was. I think it's easy from the outside to be like, man, that's awesome. But that's really hard when it hits close to home, right? For those people that have wronged you, to actually believe that God's grace counts for them. And this is so evident by the author who's writing the book of Romans. This is Paul who we're talking about. And if you know a bit of Paul's story, I encourage you to go read it in Acts chapter 9. I'm not going to read through that for you, but I want to paraphrase some of that. You might know that Paul, before he started doing what he did and becoming an apostle of Jesus, he was actually imprisoning and murdering Christians after Jesus was resurrected. This was his mission. He thought that this was God's will for him to go and persecute and destroy and wipe out these Christians. He oversaw the execution of Stephen, who was an early believer. And then as he's on his way, he's writing letters to Damascus, and he's asking for their cooperation because he's on his way to go imprison more Christians and bring them back so that he could kill them. And as he's on his way to Damascus, he is struck by Jesus, struck with blindness. And again, you might be familiar with the story and. Jesus says, Saul, what are you doing? And he tells Saul to go see somebody. And God calls on this man named Ananias. And he tells him that Paul is going to come see him. And that Ananias is going to lay hands over him and he's going to cure his blindness. And again, that sounds awesome. What? But imagine Ananias there in that story, you guys. He even says, he goes, God, I've, I've heard about this guy. 
I, I don't want to get near him. This man could kill me. But I don't want any part of that. And yet, in the faith of Ananias, steps out trusting that God could do something. And to watch what Paul would go on to do, the fact that you and I even get to read the book of Romans today, has a lot to do with the faith that Ananias placed in God that said, God, I believe that you can do something with even him. With even him. And this all sounds great from somebody and easy when you're just standing up on stage and saying it, but church, I want to I just level with you for a second and recognize I know how difficult it is. It hurts and it's hard. This is not an easy thing to do. I want to share a story with you guys about a while back, uh, years ago, when I was just leading small groups here for our student ministry. I had one of my students, um, loved the guy so much. We were very close. And um, one night, it was just he and I here at youth group. Everybody else in our group just must have missed, and so it was he and I. And um, he had been frustrated and enraged and furious about something for a long time. It's the fact that his sister had been involved in a domestic violence and abuse situation with her boyfriend for a number of months, and she couldn't escape it. He was mad. He's like, I don't know what to do. And if he's being honest, probably just wishing that that person wouldn't exist because of the harm that he did to his sister. And I sat there with him, and I felt that same frustration because I'd witnessed my sister go through very similar things with some men in her past. So I said, look, man, I, under I understand how hard that is, and I know you love your sister, and I know you want to protect her. I know you don't want to watch her, watch her get hurt. I said, can we do something together right now? I said, can we pray for our sisters? He goes, yeah. I was like, can we also pray for their boyfriends? He's like, I don't know if I can do that. He's like, I know. But maybe we could try it. And to sit there in this moment with my student and to watch his adolescent face say, God, maybe you could do something even there. Maybe you could change his life around because here's the thing, I don't know his past. I don't know what he's gone through. I don't know what he's dealt with. I don't know what brought him to this place where he's causing destruction in other people's lives. But man, I want more than anything for God to change that and to redeem even him so that nobody else could get hurt by somebody like that again. And so God, certainly, I want you to do something there. And so we're praying, frustrated. It didn't take away the frustrations. But I believe that you can even be frustrated and wrestle with that thought as you ask for God to do something for even them. Do you believe that God's grace is big enough for you and for your past? But how does that change the way that you look at them? How does that change the way that we look at those around us? Do you believe his grace is big enough? And so, as we get ready here to, to worship and sing some songs about Jesus for who he is and what he did for us and this good news, this gospel that we've presented this morning, I want to maybe just address where some of us might be here in the room today. Uh, I was thinking about some of us that Maybe have been following Jesus for a long time now. And as we think about that word justification and what that means about what Jesus did for us, that we would recognize, again, that means that you have a new record that's been given to you. My question for you today, if that's you, how does that change the way that you walk out of this building today?
How does that change your life, knowing that you've been given a new life, not just a past that's been erased, but something new? How does that righteousness change you? And then for some of us, again, followers, Christians, maybe you've been walking around a while with this posture where your shoulders are just kind of low, and the shame and guilt of your past is just still with you, and you feel that invisible weight even though the chains have already been removed. that you would be set free from that and recognize that Christ redeemed you from that shame on the cross and that you were no longer bound or slaves to sin, that that is gone and that that would change the way that you see that God perceives you. You are not marked by your past, but you are marked by his goodness. That would change our posture as we walk. And then for some of you today, you got brought here by a friend or you just stumbled in here, you don't even know why you're here. That's okay. You've never received this gift that Paul talks about here in the gospel. It says that it is received by faith. And so today's the day, if that's you, it's time to seal the deal and make that happen. Again, there's no ritual that you have to go through. There's no process except to say, God, I recognize that I've made a mess of things and that I need you. We'd love to be able to help you make that decision today. So our prayer team is going to be in the back of the house this morning. Go do that with them or, or do that by yourself in your seat, whatever you feel comfortable with but that you would make that decision today. Don't waste any more time. Don't leave today without making sure that you've been made right with God by the faith in what Jesus did for you. There's gonna be four tables around the room where you're gonna find some bread and some juice. It's called communion. It's a way that we get our attention off of ourselves for a minute and remember what Jesus did for us on that cross, his body that was broken and bruised and beaten and the blood that was spilled on that cross that solidified the new covenant that he made with you, where again in Hebrews 10, 17, God says, I will never again remember your sins or lawless deeds. To take time to remember that that's true for you today. So we're gonna sing some songs about this grace, this scandalous grace that God has given us. And as we do that, we wanna just pray over you this morning that you would be able to receive that grace wherever you're at. And so Jesus, this morning we... We come before you first recognizing that we don't have what it takes. (laughs) We could not do it by ourselves and that we were guilty. And Lord, the grace that is offered to us this morning is a grace that is received by faith and faith alone. And as we sing these songs asking that question, how can it be? God, how could you do this? This doesn't make sense. I don't understand. My past, my failures, who I am, how could you do this? Lord, that we would stop wasting time this morning trying to rationalize it and try and figure it all out, but that we would simply sit and accept that it counts for us. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.